How does Governor Holcomb grade the state's response to COVID-19? As we close out 2021, our Kristen Eskow sits down with the governor one-on-one to talk about the ongoing pandemic and the upcoming session at the State House. Plus, we'll talk with the White House Deputy Communications Director about Senator Braun's bill restricting vaccine mandates and the Transportation Secretary's tour to tout the infrastructure package. All that plus remembering Bob Dole now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks so much for joining us. We've seen another high week of case numbers and hospitalizations on the rise here in Indiana, even prompting the National Guard to be requested to help at IU Health facilities. Coming up, we'll show you our one-on-one interview with Governor Holcomb about the coronavirus. But first, Kristen Eskow with the response from local health officials. Our hospital is pretty much full. We're sitting at or beyond capacity. At Reed Health's Richmond Hospital, Dr. Thomas Huth says COVID-19 hospitalizations are at their highest levels in more than two months. He says three in four of the hospital's COVID patients were never vaccinated. The remaining quarter were, but many of those patients had not received a third vaccine dose or booster shot. Our conclusion is that so far, it looks like really what's happening is we've got this waning immunity, which we all know happens now. Although other Indiana hospitals aren't seeing as many breakthrough cases, they're seeing similar surges in COVID patients overall. At Deaconess Clinic in Evansville, COVID hospitalizations have more than doubled in the past two weeks. We're juggling every day and every minute to find beds and find places to put our patients and our nurses are getting creative. We're opening up more space. Data from the Indiana Department of Health shows COVID hospitalizations have spiked more than 20% over the past week. Right now, 20% of the state's ICU beds are available. Part of the reason Indiana hospitals have been busy in recent months, they're also treating a high volume of patients with non-COVID illnesses. We have several other respiratory viruses going on. Uh, the rhinoenteroviruses, RSV, adenovirus, um, people catching up on their medical conditions. Doctors say it's hard to predict what hospitals will see this winter. We don't have any more beds we can open up, so how do we, what do we do? It's, we are looking at what kind of different contingency plans do we need to have. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Eskow. Okay, Kristen joins me now. You spoke with the governor one-on-one this week, his first sit-down interview in quite some time. That's right, Dan, and we had a lot of questions about the coronavirus and the state's response to the pandemic. How would you grade Indiana's COVID-19 response? Getting there, long way to go. Amid Indiana's latest COVID-19 surge, Governor Eric Holcomb calls it a pandemic of the unvaccinated that's impacting the entire country. I'm just shouting from the rooftop that Get vaccinated. This is the answer. But are you concerned Indiana needs to be doing even more to get more people vaccinated? Well, we can we can encourage and we are. But I think the state's role in all of this is to make sure that we have the supplies ready to be deployed. And they are in terms of testing, in terms of vaccinating. We asked the governor why he hasn't appeared at a state COVID-19 briefing since late March, despite surges. I've been in multiple briefings and, and available, um, it may not be COVID briefings to specifically encourage, but every time I'm out in the public and asked about this or talk about our economic success, and so that can't be lost in this conversation, but anytime I'm asked about the economy, I talk about it being in the context of COVID-19 is still with us. How do we manage our way through it? And we are. So does that mean you're trying to move on from this virus? No, is the pandemic over no, for you? What I, 
said is we're managing our way through it. It is with us right now. We are managing our way through it. We are making sure that while COVID-19 is here, that our kids can be in school. 95% of them are. We are making sure that our hospitals have their resources so that they can tend to patients. Now, Kristen, the governor also said he's concerned about that Republican proposal to, to limit employer mandates for the vaccine. Yeah, that's right, Dan. He wouldn't give any specifics about those concerns, but he made it clear he still supports private businesses making their own decisions on vaccine mandates, as he's expressed previously. And here's more of our conversation on that issue. You support private businesses who choose to implement vaccine mandates of their own. But right now, more than 50 House Republicans have introduced a bill that would limit vaccine mandates by private employers. So where do you stand on vaccine mandates within private businesses? Well, I'm, I'm where I've always been. I think that uh, employers have uh, the best interest for their employees and their business and employees as well, because they're working next to someone. And we'll see what the language is, as you mentioned, come this January when we all get together and we have these discussions. The devil will be in the details. And what I mentioned prior when I was working with legislative leadership is here's three prerequisites, if you will, to end the public health emergency. The ways that we're, what I was talking about earlier, provide services to the very constituents, citizens that we serve, the reason we're here. We identified three bare minimum issues that could land that public health emergency. They agreed with those three. And then they added some that they themselves didn't have universal agreement on. So that was tabled to be continued. They'll come back, as you say, in January, and they'll discuss where that bill ultimately ends up. So where do you stand on the bill as it's written right now? I have concerns, uh, as I did before and we'll be able to share those as the session unfolds. Does that mean you're against this proposal to limit vaccine mandates by it, private it businesses? It means the author, as I read, said that there could be changes to the bill as it unfolds, like every other piece of legislation. I'm looking forward to January when we have these discussions about the actual details. Are there any specific changes you'd like to see made now to get your support for that bill? No, we've got plenty of time before now and when they meet, and then we have a few months to discuss it or weeks, depending on how fast that bill moves forward. So at this time, do you still encourage private businesses to implement vaccine mandates? Do you still support them taking that step? Sure. I, 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 I believe that businesses know best how to keep their employees safe and their products rolling off the shelves. Now, there will be another hearing on this topic ahead of the legislative session, which starts, of course, next month. All right, Kristen, thank you so much. This week, we're also hearing from Indiana Senator Mike Braun, who backed a measure at the federal level to outlaw employer mandates. That measure just passed the Senate this past week. That is the heavy hand of government. That is overreach. And that is when my phone started ringing off the hook. Two Democrats joined Republicans in voting for that measure in the Senate. It's not likely to even get a vote in the House. It was one of the topics I addressed this week in an interview with White House Deputy Communications Director Kate Berner. Federal mandates, they've, they've been struck down by the courts. There was this bill from Indiana's Mike Braun that got through the Senate this past week. Probably won't get uh, a vote in the House. But what's next here, whether it's an appeal or some other means, will the federal government be able to enact these mandates in some form or fashion? So right now, the Department of Justice is defending these mandates in the courts. The president put forward these vaccination requirements because the best thing we can do for our economy 
is for folks to get vaccinated. Um, if fewer folks are getting um, vaccinated, it's bad for workers will get sick, shoppers and restaurant diners will get sick. It's bad for our economy. We know that the vaccination requirements work. Federal government has a vaccination requirement. It's one of the largest employers, at a very high implementation rate. Um, a majority of businesses are implementing vaccination requirements on their own. They've seen very low um, numbers of people choosing to resign instead of get vaccinated. Um, so we're seeing huge increases in vaccination rates with these requirements. Um, very little people objecting to them. We know that is what's good for our communities, good for our public health, and it's good for our economy. I want to ask about the economic recovery as well. We had some positive employment numbers out this week, but there are still a lot of other issues, staffing shortages, uh, inflation impacting our economy as well. How long into the new year will it be until we can expect a, a more normalized economy? Yeah, so as you said, we got a new unemployment insurance claims today. They're the lowest level they've been since September 1969. It's great news for families across the country who during the pandemic were out of work and now are getting a paycheck. Families are seeing rising wages. Um, a labor market like this where uh, workers are in high demand does, does mean that wagers can workers can demand higher wages. That's a good thing. The president, when he ran for office, he thinks he said he thinks that workers should have more power in the economy. Um, workers have more money because of tax cuts um, in the American Rescue Plan. On average, families have another $100 a month in their pocketbooks, which again is a good thing for families as we come out of this pandemic. Prices are high right now in many cases. It's something the president is taking on directly. He is um, working on supply chain issues. Um, we're seeing many of those blockages ease, which is going to lead to price decreases in the coming weeks and months. He's been ta tackling energy prices, the largest ever um, release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and we're starting to see um, energy prices decline as well, which is good news. Um, it's something we're monitoring very closely. And then, of course, he's um, working to get his Build Back Better agenda passed, which, as I said, will uh, reduce the price of some of the things that families have struggled with for many years, like child care, pre-K, elder care, prescription drugs. All right. Coming up next, remembering Senator Bob Dole, what Indiana lawmakers are saying, plus the governor saying he's open to the idea of at least studying the potential impact of marijuana legalization. Mr. Brown, we'll be right back. Okay, a lot to discuss here with our panel. Tony Samuel, Lara Beck, Mike Murphy, Marianne Sullivan with us again today. Tony, I'll start with you. The governor supports the idea of employer vaccine mandates, the chamber siding with the governor. They want employers to have that right. Lawmakers, some lawmakers in the GOP want to restrict them. Where's that discussion headed at the state house? The chamber typically is able to exert quite a bit of pull with lawmakers. Sure, and lawmakers are, you know, rightfully concerned about individual liberties. We're seeing them taken away uh, gradually, and, and in some states, uh, Democrat states mostly, we're seeing them uh, have been taken away drastically. New York just uh, reinstituted a, uh, a mask mandate, which goes into effect Monday. New York City, a vaccine mandate mandate for all employers. So that's where the legislature is coming from. The governor governor is rightfully concerned about lives, I, I, and he has said that he'll take a look at the, the bill and, and, and it's a long, it's not necessarily a long process, it's a short session, but it, there will be time for discussions. Um, it's gonna be in uh, Representative Keith Van Adder's uh, Employment, Labor and Pensions Committee. So he's the chairman there. He's a thoughtful, smart uh, chairman and he'll do a good job of, of handling uh, the issues and, and, and being open okay. and fair with everybody. All right, 
Let's turn to Democratic strategist Laura Beck. Laura, your response to all of this, especially in the wake of these rising case numbers that, that we've been seeing lately. Yeah, I, I don't need to uh, reiterate the numbers and go over the, them again. You've, you've covered them earlier in the show. Um, but I, I think the issue with, with this issue that has come up and that we've talked about um, before is that really right now it's a question of timing. Um, and having some type of you know, lack of, of any kind of oversight is, is a really bad idea when our cases are as high as are. Um, there was an interesting study that was put out by JP Morgan Chase this week, um, and they are forecasting that we can get back to our full global recovery by 2022. But I don't know how we can do that in Indiana if we aren't vaccinating people and we're having the surges that we are. You know, this study that, that is looking forward, I, I think what is so concerning about it is it's assuming people are vaccinated and assuming we have good access to therapeutics. Right. Um, but in Indiana, we've got folks who want to totally turn that clock back. Right. Um, and it just doesn't make sense, especially with uh, where we are and where we're okay. headed. Um, so I, I agree with the governor. I agree with the chamber. I think, you know, businesses need to be able okay. to once to make these decisions. Okay. We're going to talk about a couple of education issues here today as well. The governor being asked about his stance on some of these parent-driven issues in the news and about the proposal to make school board races partisan instead of nonpartisan. About schools, some school board meetings have gotten pretty contentious this year. The attorney general has released a parent's bill of rights. Should parents have more involvement in deciding the curriculum in public schools? And if so, what should that involvement look like? <laughs> parents should have a lot of involvement in, in uh, instruction at, at uh, the place of where their child is learning um, and uh, being prepared to succeed in the rest of their lives. And uh, I would encourage, just as I Encourage citizen involvement in the state house. I would in, I would encourage it at your local school. What's more important than that? All right. Let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Uh, Mike, your your thoughts on how this discussion will play out, particularly uh, that question about whether school board uh, elections should be held on a partisan basis. Well, first of all, I think everyone forgets that the teachers work for the parents and the children. The parents and the children don't work for the teachers, and somehow this has gotten all screwed up in this discussion. But um, I will say that uh, overall, I think that that parents should have a right to be very involved in their children's education. And as far as the partisanship of the school boards, I don't think they should be partisan races. We have enough partisan races. I think making turning the school boards into partisan offices even though most people, you know, that whether the Republicans or Democrats under the surface, but being, being uh, you know, in the open about partisanship, I think is a bad idea. I want to bring in Marion Sullivan now, former Democratic state lawmaker and former president of the IPS school board. You've got a unique perspective on this issue. What's your response to all of this amidst all of these politically loaded conversations about schools in recent months? Um, yeah, well, in terms of parent involvement, you know, there's years and years of research that shows how important parent involvement is in schools, but it's like what type of parent involvement and which parents are being involved. So, you know, we've seen a lot of video and uh, news reports of angry parents at school board meetings. Um, a lot of them are white parents. So we're not seeing a lot of video and um, black of black and brown parents complaining about a lot of the same issues um, and what type of involvement. And I do think parents should be very engaged in supporting their children, supporting the teachers, um, and working together with the professionals. But I do believe that 
teachers and educators are professionals and they have uh, standards, state standards, and the legislature sounds in on those kinds of things. So um, yeah. we need to make sure the right people are doing the right job and that parents um, are, are very important and involved sure. in this process. In terms of partisanship, uh, I agree with Mike on this one. You know, I think the last thing we need to do is start alienating potentially great uh, candidates for school board, people who are really okay. interested in education issues by pulling them into, um, you know, the, the right. local party structure okay. for kind of approval and vetting before they're able to um, serve at the local level. Okay. A conversation that will no doubt continue. Meantime this week, the governor also telling Indy Politics' Abdul Hakim Shabazz that he's open to studying the impact of marijuana legalization. Dirk Rowley from our Fort Wayne affiliate also had a chance to ask the governor about that issue. Here's what he had to say. I am not opposed to uh, researching marijuana. Fortunately, here in the state of Indiana, we've got the best ag school in the country and we've got the best medical school in the country, Purdue University and Indiana University. They both agreed to participate in some of that research. Now, a proposal from Democrats this year has found some support from Republicans, but not from GOP leaders at the State House. Tony, does this mark any movement, do you think, uh, on the governor's position on this issue, saying that he's open to researching it? I don't think so, uh, not in a big way. I think it's probably wise, and it's wise to, to study any any controversial issue. Um, I, I think I said that uh, the last time around that we talked about, it. not just study the revenue that's gonna be generated, but study the social costs and see what's happening to, the, the, to lower productivity in other states, if that's the case. And, uh, you know, we have to really think about people's lives. Do we really need another distraction from being productive and taking care of our kids and that kind of thing? Okay. Lara, what do you think? Is this something that we'll see addressed at the State House, if not this session here in the coming years? I think it's something that we're going to have to talk about at some point in time, um, especially because of the revenue implications. I mean, estimates are anywhere from $150 million to $170 million. Um, that can be brought into state coffers, and it can really make a huge impact on, on the budget. Um, at the same time, we are losing out on tax dollars every single day, and we're losing not just that on what people spend at associated small businesses and in communities. When they go to um, Michigan or when they go to Illinois, um, to purchase legal uh, cannabis. So I think it's something we're going to have to have a conversation about, and hopefully the sooner the better. Okay. Mike, what else are you watching out for at the State House this year? Well, I think obviously uh, the governor has said he's going to get much more involved in, in public health this year. Obviously, we've had a pandemic going on for the last year and a half. But the cannabis thing, I, I just refer to as marijuana because that's what my, my generation refers to it as. Um, it's going to happen. Um, there's too much money involved that may not happen this year, may not happen last year. It took 25 years for the discussion on gambling to come to fruition. But someday when the state needs the money, it's going to happen. Mary Ann, you served in the legislature as well. What do you think, uh, both on this issue and, and just generally, how difficult will it be for lawmakers to tackle all of these issues in the short session to come? What else are you keeping an eye out for? Well, um, it's going to be tough, but I think that I look for the issues where I can see right from the get-go that there's a lot of opportunity for um, both parties to be supportive. And in education, I think there's a couple um, issues that are going to be brought forward. One, uh, concerning student transportation and um, expanding opportunities and flexibility for how we move kids. We've uh, created a lot of great options um, across the education landscape, and we need to be able to be more flexible um, and more economical about moving children. Also, 
bus drivers, we have a huge shortage and this could help with uh, helping on that front as well. And then also just uh, looking at possibly expanding some of the funding for charter schools to some of the local sources. Uh, the issue with IPS board having to recently vote to share referenda funds. Can we be uh, more clear up front right. about how um, these local property taxes are shared? Okay. A lot to watch out for this year. Our thanks to the panel. They'll be back in just a few minutes. Coming up next, paying tribute to the late Bob Dole, the former senator and former presidential candidate, honored in Washington and remembered by lawmakers here in Indiana. Stick around. We'll be right back. Governor Holcomb ordering flags lowered across the state after the passing of former Senator Bob Dole. Senator Todd Young said, quote, one of the greats of the greatest generation, courageous in war, humble and civil in peace. Senator Dole believed in the American people, our system, and our way of life. He spent a lifetime working through institutions to serve others, especially his fellow veterans. His life should remind us all that common decency and public virtue is not a hindrance to political success. May peace be with Mr. and Mr. Dole's family, and may Bob Dole, an authentic American hero, forever rest in peace. Those words from Senator Todd Young. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to this week's Winners and Losers. Marianne, I'll start with you. So the winner, New York City Council for extending voting rights to legal non-residents. That's over 800,000 people who can uh, have a say in local only issues. Tony? Just one loser of the week, Jesse Smollett, the actor who a couple of years ago perpetuated a fake hate crime, was found guilty on five out of six counts. Laura? One winner, Courtney Roberts. She's going to be heading up the Ivy Tech Foundation, um, and she's a former Mayor Peterson alum, so congratulations. There you go. Mike, you get the last word. My winners are my friends in the Republican State Senate who are determined to pass a law that will keep violent criminals in jail without ankle bracelets. And we're going to talk more about that issue coming up next week as well. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of In Focus. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.